I believe that veterans are the key to unlocking America's next golden age. By empowering and influencing one million veterans to transition well and become leaders in their communities, we can unlock our country's destiny and continue to change the world. My name is Bernard Bergen. Welcome to the Veterans Leadership Blog Podcast. And our guest today is Christine C.J. Johnson. I'm just going to run through her bio, which just speaks to expertise and, you know, a deep love of our country and continued service. Christine C.J. Johnson loves Chicago and represents it to the fullest. C.J. is a combat veteran who served in the Air Force on active duty as a trauma medic. C.J. deployed on three different occasions, spending time in both Iraq and Qatar. CJ earned her nursing license shortly after transitioning from the Air Force and worked in a federal hospital while earning her bachelor's in political science and minor in international affairs. CJ also has a master's degree in political science and foreign affairs with a subfield of Arab regional politics and Arabic language. CJ received a master's certificate of advanced education in Homeland Security, which included studies in national security, terror public policy, and disaster relief policy through Northeastern Illinois University. CJ is passionate about diplomacy, and her military and medical management skills, combined with her foreign policy work, sets her apart as she applies her expertise as a foreign affairs officer in the Secretary of State's Office of Global Partnerships on Team Innovation. Her team covers various global initiatives in support of public-private partnerships. Supporting the state's foreign policy efforts, CJ heads up the office's private sector engagement strategy. CJ, did I miss anything? No, that's a pretty good sum up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. So again, thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast. And as you know, it's a very scripted show, but we do get to dive deep in the areas that you're passionate about, the areas of your expertise, and I'll just get started. Sounds great. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So question one, what would you say to your younger self as you were entering military service? Yeah, so I was thinking about this for a while. And when I first joined military service, I had a very different sort of perception of the world. And it wasn't necessarily bad. I had very good intentions. I really was very interested in public service. But I think a few things have changed. And I wish I could have told myself back then, and perhaps it wouldn't have taken me so long to get to the point of where I'm at right now, which is pretty happy in in my life and very, um, I would say, healthy, both mentally and physically. When I first joined the military, I was extremely competitive and was very much a perfectionist in my mindset. I wanted to help others. I wanted to be a heroine, I guess, in my mind. I always loved, you know, cartoons with heroes and movies where there was the good guy and the bad guy and the good guy prevailed. And and so I think my interests were very genuine to help people, but I really didn't give myself any space for error or imperfection or failing. And so my expectations were so extremely high that I sort of really didn't allow myself to really be open-minded to other people. I think I was very controlling of myself because I was so afraid of failing. And, And the military, coming into the military with this sort of public service attitude, wanting to be the best of the best, can be a very good thing, being very competitive, trying to perfect everything. It can be a good thing, but I think it also can be a really hard thing to deal with when you come out of the military because they encourage this 
sense of excelling and teamwork and doing the best that you can and giving it your all and sacrificing yourself for others and the greater good. But in the midst of my time in the military, I didn't really experience how to recover from a personal failure, I would say, from, let's say, dealing with serious problems. So before I joined the military, I really hadn't had anything go that wrong in my life. And so after being deployed three times and experiencing, I would say, the extreme environment of a war zone, when I got out of the military, I struggled quite a bit. And I went through some tough times trying to figure out how to handle that transition back into society. And uh, I think what I would tell myself when I was younger, knowing what I know now, is basically to give myself a break. And that being perfect doesn't mean you're a strong person necessarily, Mm -hmm. or being imperfect doesn't mean that you're weak. Dealing with problems or struggles or having to get over hurdles doesn't mean that you aren't still capable of being a heroic person. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. (laughs) Wow, it makes sense. You dove really deeply on, you know, at times the mindset that we get to unleash within the military space, as you mentioned, there are some benefits to that. And, you know, it was familiarizing myself with your work, your background. When you shared that, you worked extremely hard to not only be competitive, but to be an expert. And it trended towards perfection. I was like, well, CJ, you are a trauma medic. So I'm pretty sure there are a lot of faithful people that you took your craft so seriously. But I love how you tied it into the realities of as you then transition out of a very controlled, disciplined environment, and you reintegrate with the teams that are now a part of your life, that that being overly competitive in the wrong way and not giving yourself room to fail, learn, and grow can become a bit of a hindrance. I love how you shared and broke that down. Yes, exactly. That's a good way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask this, and I, I love asking this one. Would your younger version of you, would you have heeded that advice? Would you have struggled with it? Would it be something that you're like, okay, I see where you're coming from, or do you think you would have been a bit too driven to even consider it? I'm not totally sure. If it were coming from, let's say, myself or maybe a woman that I looked up to or respected, and I'll tell you more about specifically why a woman, but I think I may have heeded some of it. (laughs) I don't know if it would have really settled in all the way, because I do think that we really grow and learn from our experiences, and part of what I had to experience was maybe falling just a little bit to know what it was like to personally have to pick yourself back up and learn from those mistakes and realize that you can become even better because of them. And that's really hard to tell someone, I think, initially, but I think I would have gone a little bit easier on myself after I experienced some, like, emotional reaction to traumatic setting, I may have recognized it better and been more willing to say, um, talk to someone or ask for help than I was only because I just didn't really get that advice. I don't think that it came up. It just, I just never ran into anyone that maybe knew those experiences yet. None of my family was military at the time. There's been some who joined since, but also we weren't in a a government environment. We weren't in a political environment. We're very much average middle-class American 
American family, you know, working as hard as they could to move forward. So I didn't have people who had experienced the military or gone and done sort of public service type positions either to really help guide me that much. But I do wish I had someone back then when I was 18 to kind of tell me, you know, when these things may come up, it's okay to seek out help or open up to recognizing when you may be feeling something that's bothering you. A lot of what I did was absolutely not deal with my emotion, period, (laughs) which is something that I think we use as a survival tactic too Mm -hmm, while we're deployed, mm -hmm. especially when you're a trauma medic. I mean, you just got to do your job and move forward. If I stopped after you know, every patient that I struggled to help save or there's just a lot of emotion you can't deal with right there and then in that moment. Right. But when you get out of the military, all of a sudden it's like the dust settles and you go, whoa, wait a second. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't have that number one mission right in front of me to keep pushing me forward, you know, and all of a sudden I had to actually address all of those emotions and it all kind of hit me at once. And uh, if I had known maybe ahead of time, if if, if someone had told me that this may happen, I think I would have handled it a lot better or a lot quicker, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's beyond great advice. I think it gets to the core of, you know, when something's on the line, someone's life is on the line, the mission is on the line. It's so easy to tunnel in, focus, and just lock in on accomplishing what's in front of you. And I love how you shared that now when you do get to serve beyond the uniform, at times there is some some reconciliation of feelings, emotions, and how important it is to have some mentorship as you embrace not just your military service, but also your military transition. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I want to backtrack one second. I said I would be more likely to listen to a woman who maybe had been experienced and in the military for a while. One of the things that kind of kept me in that mode of being perfect and competitive was also a struggle, I think, just being a girl and joining the military. Uh And I grew up with three brothers and I've always had a lot of guy friends. And then, you know, I mostly get along with men. But I think that my sort of extreme drive to be the best that I could be is because I was always trying to compare with my male counterparts. And so if there was an experienced woman in a leadership position that maybe had said something to me, I would have taken it better than if it were just in general, maybe a woman who hadn't had been in military service yeah. or in a leadership role. So yeah. anyway, that's the whole reason I said, I think it, it that also would have helped a lot. Yeah. And I love you sharing that perspective. When I get to give talks to veterans, I always share that I will never be arrogant enough to pretend that I have the veteran's perspective. I'm a male veteran and our female veterans and their service and their transition stories. We need to hear more of those transition stories so that we can empower the entire veterans community. You know, and I love that you shared that. And just in keeping up with how the direction our military is flowing towards, I think we're starting to see a lot of those strong female military leaders like yourself who can then share their stories and continue to build our female soldiers and service members. Yes, definitely. Um, Even just since I've been out, there's been a lot of changes that I see happening and I think are great and, of course, beneficial to women in a lot of ways as far as, you know, their ability to embrace leadership. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, moving right along. Now, I'm pretty sure this does cross your path from time to time. What would you say to anyone considering serving right now? One thing I 
often say, and I think is still applicable, is do your research. Really look into the jobs that are available in whatever branch. And I would talk to all branches. I would find out what types of jobs, depending on if you're going in enlisted. Most officers have a little more age and experience, and they tend to have more specific job paths just initially. But when you're enlisted, as I was, I really went in blind. And I did have a good recruiter who kind of prepared me for the worst in boot camp. But it would have been nice if I had the technology I do now to just look up information, but really research what types of jobs there were and kind of go into those recruiting offices with more background and knowledge so I could choose the right direction, the right branch, the right job, if possible, if they even have it available, but at least know what I'm going into a little bit better. And the opportunity to get that information is more readily available now than it was when I first joined. And so I always recommend that people do that because there's lots of people who join, especially in the enlisted ranks, who were not expecting what they experienced. And it caused them to go through a lot of struggle. I think whether it's just with authority or with the type of job they ended up in. And another thing is, is I also tell everyone to really, really use the benefits that they have when they become active duty or reserves or guard to really understand all the benefits they have, whether it's the basics with money and stuff, but there's constant, there's a constant sort of run of educational programs, financial um, help and assistance and, and things that you can get while you're reserve guard or active duty that you wouldn't have gotten if you were on your own and civilian life as a young person. And I wish I knew right off the bat to take advantage of those, like the education centers, they have free financial programs. They can help you with learning how to invest. I mean, there's so many opportunities just on base. And it took me a long time before I realized those were available or I had the mindset to take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you highlighted some things that will really resonate as you're thinking about entering research, 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 and really up your military IQ and even up your military IQ about the journey while you're serving as well so that you can position yourself to educate yourself while serving and learn in some of your downtime moments so that you can, as you mentioned, upgrade your financial literacy, upgrade maybe your skill sets around areas that you're going to be passionate about if you continue to serve or even if you transition. I really enjoyed that advice. Yes. You know, I still give the advice to veterans as well. <laughs> A lot of <laughs> veterans get out of the military and there are so many programs offered and it's not just the GI Bill. Just going to the Veterans Health Administration, they have transition and care management teams. They have anything from dancing and art to actually being able to see a counselor about almost any topic. And there's so many veterans service organizations available. And I think we have that more now than ever. And it's great to come out and take advantage of all those opportunities, especially employee resources. And, and I have plenty of friends who've gotten out and chose not to even look into it for reasons that we actually struggle with in transitioning, sort of asking for help or thinking of that as more of a weak thing when really going out and searching for the benefits you get as a veteran is 
I mean, it only strengthens you in the long run, especially if you're interested in any type of leadership position, um, being armed with information and, and getting support in order to get there. I mean, and that there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I. I love, I was just taking some notes on that because you're right. You know, I have seen so many different transition stories and the ones that trend towards more of a harder connection to what's next, when you start really listening to what's not being said, many service members decided to go it alone, you know, and, and, and I know at times there's family situations where families might not understand, but I believe, as you mentioned, there's so many caring veteran services organizations that do their best to connect us with the resources, the mentors, and the ideas that can get us to our next path. Exactly. I completely agree. All right. This is usually the most challenging question. One word answer. When I say military transitions, you say... Heroism. <laughs> okay, I've not heard that one before, so let's dive deep. Well, I guess this was more of a, a personal choice. It kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. When I joined the military, I mean, I really wanted to be a hero, I guess. I wanted to help people. I wanted to be the best of the best, right? And often people equate active duty military people as heroes, like, you know, our heroes and have a lot of respect for them because you have these people who are brave and they have courage and they are willing to give up everything and serve and put their life on the line. Now, when we transition out of the military, I feel like this is something we need to remember ourselves. What does heroism actually mean? What truly is a hero, what makes a hero. And there's so many different definitions, but often it's what other people think of you. They look at you as a person that's brave, that's courageous, that's bold, that's daring, right? This sort of idea of fearlessness. I grew up with three brothers and I was always so competitive. I wanted to prove that I wasn't scared of anything. And one of the reasons I actually ended up joining the military, apart from, say, money for school and a couple other things, but a big one that actually made that decision was uh, the fact that I was told that I couldn't <laughs> and that I would wow. never make it. And so wow. I, was, I was going to say, absolutely not. I can do it. I'll prove it. And I basically left the next day. <laughs> for oh, wow, wow, wow. Um, you know, and it's funny because I've actually faced the toughest times in my life when I transitioned out of the military. It was really hard for me. And I kind of got out abruptly because I had certain goals and re-enlisting didn't align with it. I wanted to become an officer. I had all these plans and they kind of fell through for many different reasons and lots of different variables. But ultimately, when I got out of the military, I felt like the mission moved forward without me. So I wow. felt like I lost that sense of being someone or being a hero or that I had no longer given myself to some greater good. And that really, I struggled with that because I had based my life on that idea of constantly doing something that put me in a position to be a hero in a sense. What I've realized since that time period of transitioning out, that often that, that heroism is not just serving in the military, but understanding that when people look at you as 
brave, courageous, bold, daring, and fearless, we really need to continue that on after we get out of the military. A fearless person that's struggling with, like me, I'm not having, feeling like I didn't have a mission or a purpose anymore, and going up against that fear and embracing it and realizing, you know what, I can continue to serve um, in different capacities. I can continue to move forward. And also, I can address the fact that I'm feeling this way in the first place. Now, if I am truly a hero, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to have any problems and I'm never going to fail at something or there's a hurdle that I just can't get over. As a matter of fact, when I realize there's a hurdle, I can understand that perhaps there's people that can help me over it and we can become a team again together. I mean, it's just yeah. a, ma a hero is someone who figures out a way to move forward and accomplish a goal and continue the mission even when there are obstacles. And so an obstacle for me, if I truly want to stay an heroic person, is when I get out of the military and I'm having trouble transitioning, recognizing what those troubles are, learning about them, facing them head on in a brave way, and being able to move forward and be able to triumph over that whatever bend in the road or bump in the road that it may be and continue forward. And honestly, that is what I think makes a true leader in any sense, realizing it's public service, private sector, in the military, not in the military, is that that heroism can continue on throughout your life. And so military transition for me was really the challenge of proving whether or not I could be a hero because I had the option to just go the dark route and give up on everything. And I came very close to that because I got very unhappy. And I realized that the idea of heroism of being in the military is what I didn't want to give up. And I had to learn to cope in a different way. And so I was very scared, but I reached out. And ultimately, it was the best thing I've ever done in my life. And to be honest, it was the, I've been deployed three times. I worked as a trauma medic. I faced a lot of traumatic situations, but that was the hardest thing I had ever had to go through. And I believe I've come out the other end very successful, and I only want to pass that forward. Wow. wow. So that's why that's what comes to mind. Yeah. And again, you define so many things in, in that breakdown and familiarizing myself with your work. Hero is definitely something that I would say even beyond the uniform. And I like that, you know, you kept going and you made the decision to connect with those who could just remind you of all that you were already and all that you could continue to accomplish. And I love the idea of serving beyond the uniform. It's one of the things that I try to you know, drive home is that, yes, we serve honorably while serving, but once that uniform comes off, we have to still seek that place of heroism, that place of honor that we can continue to serve. And, and the way you describe leadership, private and public leadership, I think you nailed it. You know, we hit our bumps, we hit our speed bumps, and then we check the plan. We see where we're at. We see who and, and what we need to do, who we need to talk to so that we can get back on the track that's going to continue to let us, you know, improve not just our lives, but the lives of others as well. And I think everything you described in just your journey and how you answered that really speaks to service beyond the uniform. So thank you for continuing to do that and challenge you to continue to share this message because I'm blown away. Yeah, you know, it's funny because right now my portfolio includes private sector engagement and 
through this opportunity in this position, which was something I never would have thought of doing public-private partnerships and global partnerships and engaging the private sector. I've always been so focused on government and military, and that's where most of my experience now is, and uh, I'm used to it. But what I've learned in this new position is that there are so many amazing leaders in the private sector, in non-government organizations, in you know foundations and, and service organizations that really write history as well and have such an impact on the world. I they're in these leadership roles and they're they're role models. And as we look at you know our new administration coming in, and they're coming most from the private sector, um, even the heads of the agencies. And that ultimately will bring a totally different perspective, but one that may be very important. And so I feel like not only having the background in government and military being a great foundation for us to start on, but there's so much more we can do in public service in general that doesn't have to be in the public sector. And so I love engaging people from all different companies, and, and they have so many different missions and values that sort of fall in line, or at least part of it falls in line with, say, this diplomatic values that we're trying to push forward. So it's been really exciting to kind of see how I've been able to work in different sectors and even in different job titles and capacities moving forward. And sometimes that's just how, you know, life ends up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you started to answer the next question, which is just tell us a bit about what you do now. So I'll rephrase it this way. Mm -hmm. What is the thing that you would say most electrifies your day about your work? Oh, that's a good one. Well, I joined the military. Ultimately, the main reason I joined the military when I was 18 was because I thought embassies were so cool. I thought I wanted to work. I never thought I could be an ambassador. <laughs> But I wanted to work for an ambassador. I just wanted to learn about other cultures and not just other cultures, but the way that their their leadership ran, the way their government worked. And also, after joining the military, I was very interested in how different um, militaries worked together and went back and forth and just how it all worked and how the different groups of people compared. So what brings me to work happy every day is that I get to focus on topics that have to do with our government working with other groups and other sectors on topics that are global, that mm -hmm. are helping with development issues overseas, but also forwarding our sort of stance in the U.S., our values and our beliefs, like at a core level. And so it's really fun for me to come and see what's going on around the world and how we can affect change in some way. So basically foreign affairs, I mean, that's one reason I came to the State Department. And I am now a foreign affairs officer, which is a, a general job series here at State as civil service. It's a little different than Foreign Service. I stay in D.C. more often, but what's nice about it is I don't touch just one country and one region. I focus on all sorts of topics that could end up in many different countries or regions, and um, my primary focus is actually partnerships. And over the years, I would say in any job I've had, I've always wanted to help be the peacemaker, and uh, that always was indicative of bringing people together to solve mm -hmm. problems and sort of um, communicate properly. And what I do now is every day I look for ways that partnerships, and we're not talking money and grants, we're talking together, communicating, working together to solve global problems. And I mean, 
it's so fun to just think that way on such a large scale because you feel like you can really maybe affect change in small ways. Our office is very small, but it's fun because I get to work with very different people with all different unique skill sets and think of ways that we can come together and all use our specialties to sort of forward a common goal. And that's coming from all different sectors as well. I mean, I have plenty of friends we work with in the DOD and the military too, so I still get to see veterans, military people, and that really brings me in to work. Very happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I love that you continue the global impact that your military service kind of unveiled to you that, hey, what you do has a global impact. And now here in your work, you still get to have that global impact. That's really fascinating. And I think it's, as you mentioned, if service members can find those connections, you know, I think they can find deep satisfaction in what's next when they realize that, hey, maybe I'm used to making global impact. Maybe I'm used to working with high-performing teams. You know, and if I tap into some of that, that's a space where I, I might be able to not just excel, but find deep satisfaction. Yes, exactly. And it's funny you mentioned that because a lot of what I do, one of the um, partnerships that I manage that our office created is called the Veterans Innovation Partnership. It's a fellowship, so VIP fellowship. So I actually spend a lot of time talking about converting military skills experience and your higher education into foreign policy and uh, global development sort of jobs and skills. And so I still work with that very thing every day. And I was just talking to a veteran on the phone earlier who was happened to be an army medic of all things. Oh, wow. And uh, he was just curious about what the State Department was like because he was very interested in continuing his service into the future in a different capacity in like foreign service or in foreign affairs. And I think that many, many jobs in the government, you can relate military skill into, but plain and simple, the skills that we have, these service mission oriented leadership, even a generalist. So when I was in the military, I constantly moved from job to job, not because they wanted to move me, but because I wanted to learn different skills. And when I was actually deployed, I covered lots of different skill sets. Yep. So they move you around on purpose. So you become more of a generalist. And that's extremely unique in a lot of areas. So that's why a lot of private sector companies are always interested in veteran skills, I think. Anyway, I'm going to stop here and let you move forward before I go on a rabbit trail because I could keep going and going. No, that, no, that was great. And the deeper I think it connects people with the stories that can transform lives. And I think, you know, your story is such a unique but powerful one of, you know, just continued service and even expansion of service. Even when you talked about the Veterans Innovation Partnership Fellowship, again, without committed veterans seeking their best work like yourself, would that have the energy behind it that it needs. So I think sharing that, sharing your stories in a deep way does literally transform lives. So thank you for going that deep as well. But I'll dive into this and I think you touched on it, but we're going to go a bit faster. And I'm interested because your work has so much to do with service, but which military value do you feel is the top one that you bring to what you do today? I would say it would be teamwork. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, you say me personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it would be a team mindset, like being able to organize a team or be a team player. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely something that makes the military work. And I think at times people miss that. Like we're working on some of the most high performing diverse teams ever created. So, exactly. you know, being able <laughs> to transition that into your new role, I think people don't understand the deep value of that experience until they see it in action. Yes, exactly. And, yeah. you know, there's one specific thing I always think of or go back to, and that is when you are in an environment that is a wartime deployed setting, or perhaps uh, just a trauma room or an ER, you always have to be a team. But what drops off are the real petty issues, uh, sort of, you know, and this still happened from time to time, but ultimately your main objective is there and it's up in your face all the time. And so silly little things fall off. And that's, I think why we develop these sort of friendships for life with other military members and that bond becomes so strong. I mean, one, it's usually in life-threatening situations, you're relying on each other, but also you kind of let stupid stuff like fall to the side and you know when to buckle down, be a team, look past the dumb stuff and work together to get the job done. And uh, often in civilian settings, I see people fall often because of little things that they fall into, little frustrations that they let fester. And that's one thing that I enjoy being around veterans because it's easy to not go in that direction because we've all been in situations where screw the little things, like we got bigger problems. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you way. nailed it. You nailed it. Like, guys, the coffee machine being broken is not a bad day. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. not, so that's not a bad day. It's inconvenient. However, you know, yeah. we can get through this. I love that you shared that because it's important. And I think it ties into the next question, which is what would you say to employees looking to employ veterans? Oh, so definitely the whole teamwork, the ability, under true understanding of camaraderie. Now, in nowadays, in a lot of corporate level positions, they're looking for innovative thinkers and they do a lot of group work and design thinking and strategic planning together. And they want to come up with new methods of doing things. Well, one thing that I always sort of preach to employers about veterans is this teamwork ability, but also to really develop camaraderie as a working team, as employees, not to mention the ability to respect. So respect positions and your fellow coworkers. I feel like military members understand honor, respect, and hierarchy of leadership. Yeah. And uh, they know when to say something or when not to. Also, veterans, I mean, one thing we don't do is we're really, I mean, at least for me, I mean, you can go through some hard stuff, but warriors, like true warriors and heroes don't give up. When the going gets tough, you find a way you make it happen and you push forward no matter what. If the coffee maker is broken, you know you can walk to Dunkin' Donuts and get a filler. Yeah. You know? Come yeah, right yeah, back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But basically, I mean, one thing that I've always had bosses say about me is they like the ability, if there's a problem or an issue that comes up, and even if they're not around, they know I will take care of it, get it done, move forward. If they're not available, I find a way and I keep moving forward. And, you know, that's sometimes that's hard to find unless you've been sort of trained into that mindset. And then also integrity. I mean, I think that 
people who do serve in the military that are veterans, they have a sense of integrity. They know what it is. They know how to go about their work and do it for others and in a selfless way. I'm not saying that everybody follows that perfectly, but I do think they understand it and they have the ability to offer that to a company that is not always there. I mean, you can kind of guarantee when you get a veteran, you have somebody who has some sense of service and cares about you know, moving things forward and isn't just totally selfish. I mean, those are some of the characteristics that I find in the general community of veterans that I think are one of a kind, or often they can be role models to other people in their employment environment. So Yeah, and employers need that deep character that veterans bring to the table and the ability to find a way to find a way, you know, not just waiting for it to be (laughs) top-down leadership. It's Hey guys, this is the mission. We all know what it is. What's the next step to get closer to completion? And I love that you highlighted that. And I know that, you know, employers at times might have their biases. And I think this question just really helps them hear firsthand what's being seen, what's being done, and what actually is being brought to the table. Yes. Okay. What would you say to a service member right at the start of their transitions process? I would encourage them to get connected with the VA and the Veterans Health Administration for simply to do like a check-in and see what they have available for. There's literally in every Veterans Health Administration hospital, there's a transition care management team. And their one goal and why they exist is simply to help you through the process of transitioning. And and the reason I say Veterans Health Administration, the VA in general offers this, and you can look things up online, but the Veterans Health Administration really offers a team that focuses on your mental health, your physical health, and all of those aspects combined. And I personally think that mental health is just as important as physical health, and they go hand in hand. And so it's always good to immediately check in there and just see what's there. Because I mean, even they just have simply flyers or send you emails or let you know when there's other sort of veterans events, they have employment resources, they have information about the GI Bill, they have everything you really you want to find just right there. And you can get your checkup at the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Boom, boom, boom. I always recommend that because I've met many veterans that got out and just never went to the VA or the Veterans Health Administration, like to the hospital because they said, oh, well, I was feeling healthy. You know, okay. But it's always good to just sort of get checked in. There's also veteran service officers in almost any county in any state. I mean, across the U.S. There's designated people that are there to just help you move through the paperwork or figure out what types of benefits you have in your particular state. And these people, that's their job entirely. And most of the time, they're retired veterans. And they, even if it's just simply letting you know that, you know, there's a nearby group of VFW guys that get together and they shoot pool, you know. So um, it's great to just touch base with those initial organizations that really are created as a benefit for veterans directly you know, I mean, that's what they're paid to do. So I always say that that's like a first stop right after you get out of the military. And I think, and I can't remember if they told me right when I got out to do that or not, but I wish I did it right away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And <laughs> and maybe I, I would have taken yeah. it better if I heard it from another veteran like me who right. said, oh, I wish I did this right away. 
And yeah. I might be a little yeah. biased yeah. because I worked for a VA hospital, but that just means I really know what they offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that you're directing veterans to make contact. What I have seen, and I know you've seen it as well, is that so many veterans, without knowing it, they leave a high-functioning, team-based organization, and they step out, and day one through maybe 100, they're like, I can do this on my own. Right. And I think that's just the wrong idea. There are decisions that you make alone, but many of the transition focus ideas, there's been millions of veterans who've had to do the same exact things. Have those conversations, buy a cup of coffee, stop by, like you mentioned, one of a veteran's health organizations and just really, if not anything else, listen to some of the counsel of people who have been there before, people who have more access to some of the data, and then adjust and shift fire for what it's going to look like in your life. Exactly. I mean, I was one of those veterans. I got out, you know, I planned to retire in the military. I wanted to become an officer. I was going to bootstrap and so I had this whole plan that kind of fell through because I was my number was up to deploy again. So either I deployed and I stayed reenlisted or I got out and I went to school right away. Well, I wanted to change into foreign affairs and so I was worried it would take too long if I reenlisted and everything. Mm -hmm, so I mm -hmm. got out real abruptly and I didn't prepare for it and I was one of those sort of like gung ho like poster board military people went in lots of awards and just really involved in every activity you could volunteer for or every award you could try to, you know, go up for. That's kind of my personality. So when I got out and I came home to Chicago, my family were there and it was great to have them around, but I decided to go at it alone and it took me so long before I actually connected and reached out to find out where the veterans were in my area. And it took a lot longer for me to transition in a healthy way than if I really had someone encouraging me to immediately reach out. And plain and simple, I just miss the military environment so much. Like, and like you said, that intense camaraderie, teamwork, you know, structured, goal-oriented mission, even adrenaline-pumping situation, to go from that to this immediate abrupt stop mm -hmm. and going back home and realizing you've changed and a lot of people there just haven't done anything at all <laughs> was really hard. And it was a lot more of a blast in my face than I ever imagined it would be. And so if I had immediately reached out to a VSO or a healthcare facility, just the transition team and said, hey, this is me, I'm here, what benefits do I get, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. I would have been able to connect with more communities and other veterans, I mean, can really help you through the transition process too. Even if they're transitioning too, just being around each other and having mm -hmm. that ability mm -hmm. to talk. I mean, really, a lot of it is just, for heaven's sake, the contact connect yeah, yeah. Um, with someone else. And there's so many wonderful people who aren't veterans who work in these organizations. And they're often it's because their family are veterans. And so many family members, I believe, give public service themselves because it takes a lot for them to be a military family member or a veteran family member. And so many of them are also helpful during like transition processes. I don't know if you've heard of Team Red, White, and Blue. Yeah, but yeah. They 
Yeah, they do like fitness activities and social activities. And it's so funny because I ran into somebody and he was real gung-ho about Team RWB. And I thought he was a veteran the entire time. Find out he just, he had family that were in the military and he wanted to do something that was service-oriented for veterans. And he was one of the greatest people I met that encouraged me so much and and really got me pumped Mm -hmm. up to get back into my fitness realm. (laughs) So, I mean, there's so many great things out there. And, And when I first got out, I was closed off to all of it. And yeah, so definitely that would be the first thing that I tell people getting out of the military is just to connect. Yeah. So what I try to say is veterans must make contact and you really touched on that. And I always remind veterans or even current service members, the goal isn't to transition. It's to transition well. You know, you serve honorably. You serve in a way that kept the goals and integrity of our service members intact. And when you transition, it's our goal that we assist each other to transition honorably, to transition well. And the deeper way to do that, like you mentioned, Team Red, White, and Blue, Team RWB, is to connect. Because when you connect, you find people who speak the language and who still have the drive, you know? And it could be helping you turn that drive into maybe your educational passions or your health passions. Maybe it's now running or fitness, but it's people who understand that you're okay with doing life a little differently. People who are okay with you enjoying sitting around solving problems or sitting around volunteering together. Like you said, it's a different pace of life and to just transition without contact It's almost like all the air being sucked out of a room. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what is your biggest ask of the veterans community? You mean veterans that are, you talking about veterans, veteran service organizations, or what do you mean by veterans community? I'd say just the veterans community as a whole. You know, like if you're speaking to a group of veterans and, you know, many of them are serving beyond the uniform and many of them have great families, great businesses, great careers, and you're just sharing a bit about yourself, your background with them, and you know, you're know you wrapping that up and you just have one ask for them, what would you ask of them? I would ask them to tell their story. Wow. For a long time, I refused to tell my story. <laughs> I think that it's important that everybody offers up a little piece of their learning experience, whether they went through a really tough time or they didn't. I think that it's important that we talk to each other about it. Yeah. 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 I I like that. I like that. I think that's solid and it's spot on because if we share that, Hey guys, yeah, went through that too, thought those things too, made that error too, you know, then people realize and you're where you're at today. Yeah. So keep going. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, One thing it is hard for veterans in general. We have this mindset of security all the time and uh, we don't like to open up about too many things. There's always a way to open up and share your story with people that comes from the heart, comes from the inside. And that's not really, has nothing to do with your address, your job, your Mm -hmm. this, your that. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can impart to people how you got through things without it being any type of release of information you shouldn't be giving. Right. I mean, that is hard. It's hard to open up, especially when you want to show a strong outer, a strong presence and you want to be a leader. But I think some of the best leaders that have really made a change and they win the hearts of the people are because they open up and they do connect on some level Mm -hmm. um, and they're able to instill uh, loyalty by showing 
what they've learned and, you know, and how they relate and uh, having that common goal and that common sense of mission. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, opening up and telling your story. Yeah, I think that's going to resonate well with the listeners of the podcast because it, it could be your your new veteran's neighbor. Like it's not, it doesn't have to be from a stage. And I think at times veterans, without knowing it, hear that it's this big thing versus look, I kind of see, you know, I had a friend that just reached out and and shared that with me. He was like, hey, Bernard, I have a new neighbor who just moved in. He's a veteran. And besides work, he doesn't really do anything else. And I was like, if you have his number, give it to me. I'll call him. I called him. We connected. Of course, he was wary. And then he kind of saw that I was deeply genuine about sharing my story and reminding him that the skill sets that he has, everything he has to offer, it's very valued. And there are amazing organizations. You mentioned Team RWB, that you can take who you are into those environments and it's a safe space to reconnect with people who understand the journey. Exactly. All right. Our last question would be, what book would you feel really challenge your leadership, maybe challenge your thinking that you would say, if there's going to be one book you read this year, read this one? You know, that's a really hard one. I mean, I have one sort of book that was written by a doctor at a VA hospital. It's a short sort of snippet, I would Mm -hmm. say, but what it breaks down, whether it's for employers, for loved ones, for the veteran themselves, it really breaks down sort of the war zone viewpoint, like the skills and how they can be looked at a different way so we can translate them to the best of the ability and also help a veteran help themselves or other people can help them transition properly. And that's, it's called transitioning war zone skills. Um, mm. And it's like an information, it's a short, more like a liter- like a paper, but it's for veterans and for those who care. And it's just a nice breakdown, also a conversation starter. Um, And they kind of go by topic by topic and they give a nice little breakdown of what it's like in the military and then talking about how they feel now and how it relates to what you can do in the civilian, you know, world. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So again, if you're listening, you want to read that really showcases how things can transfer, grab transitioning war zone skills. And I think, you know, it's something I'm going to add to my reading list. I'm deep dive in learning about the veterans community, how we can best support each other. So these recommendations is something I definitely, you know, appreciate and take to heart. So lastly, we're going to wrap up with you sharing a parting piece of guidance and where people can learn more about the Veterans Innovation Partnership Fellowship and even more from you as well on your social channels. Okay, great. So a parting piece of guidance would say, remembering that what makes us a hero, right, is not that we don't ever face any problems and that we always and always succeed that we're perfect what it is is that we choose to be fearless and fight for what we think is more important than fear and that we overcome those hurdles and whether that's our own failure in an area or it's something that we're being challenged with but that we're able to overcome them and learn from them pick ourselves back up dust ourselves off and keep fighting the war and that's really what makes us a warrior not that we never fall but that we know to get ourselves back up and keep going yeah 
Wow. The last thing I would share that, you know, is maybe more personal to me is if you are interested in learning more about Veterans Innovation Partnership Fellowship, you can look it up at VIPfellowship.org. And it's very easy to communicate with me. You can just write VIPfellowship at state.gov. And you can, uh, yeah, I mean, that's an easy way to get a hold of me and also learn more about a program that I truly support. Wow, wow, wow. Well, CJ, thank you for your time and your energy. Thank you for what you continuously do in your service beyond the uniform. Any shout outs to Chicago before we wrap the call? to Bridgeport, which is in the south side near the White Sox Stadium. <laughs> I've got some amazing friends there that actually I just love them and miss them. So shout out to Bridgeport. And then I have to say hoorah Cubbies or my dad would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, CJ, for you know just your time, your expertise, and just your deep passion to showcase what life beyond the uniform can look like and also what service at the highest levels beyond the uniform can look like as well. So thank you again for uh, just sharing your thoughts and being on the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you.